Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm April Fallon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm your host, April Fallon. I am the adoptive mother of four kids, and we have been doing this podcast since 2016. I just, I can't even believe that. It started as a radio program in Denver, and we started uploading the shows to iTunes, which is now Apple Podcasts. We were interviewing adoptive parents, birth parents, and adoptees. And it was really cool to watch the show grow. It went national and then international. And I remember the first year we hit 10,000 downloads and I was so happy. I was like, oh my gosh, we actually have a show. And then hitting 300,000 and now over half a million downloads. I just want to thank you so much for making the show successful and joining in the cause to teach about adoption, to inform, to tell real truthful stories. And you know, a lot of these stories are really fun. I mean, people come on here with some really, really hard topics and somehow we end up laughing and connecting and having a really good time. So we have enjoyed this season and I've learned so much throughout the years that it's helped me become a better mother. And the coolest thing is the way the show works together with each episode. And this is what I mean. So today we have a guest on the show that's going to talk about safe haven. And I had not heard of that before. But last week on our interview, the mother adopted from safe haven. And I was like, no way. Next week, we're going to talk all about this. So it's really cool how God works together and brings the right people at the right time. So I just want to introduce our guest for today, Miss Tara Nassette. Thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And you're in studio, but you're not from here. You're not from Arizona. We are newbies. We moved here from Chicago a year, almost a year and a half ago. And you're an adoptive mother of two. You're going to talk to us about your story. It started in Chicago. You did both your adoptions. All of our adoptions are were in Chicago. Okay. So let's talk about why you and your husband, John, decided to adopt. Yeah, I think it's the story that you probably hear over and over again. Uh, we tried to conceive and it wasn't going well. And I just... I. We didn't even honestly try that long. I just had this hunch. It was it was supposed to be going better, and and it wasn't. And we went to the doctors pretty quickly, realized we both had issues. Um, mm. And we, we dipped our toe in the water of treatments, but we both needed to do treatments. They were both going to be elaborate. And we just quickly thought, there's a there's another way. Uh, it took him a little convincing, but I was I was pretty much right away. Like this is crazy. We, this could take forever. We've I've heard horror stories of you know a decade of trying. We were 30 at the time, and I was like, you know what? All of our friends are having babies. I think we can adopt, and this will go on a normal timeline. And it did. So yeah, we, it went on a normal timeline. It, believe it or not, we our first adoption was like by the book. I mean, it was it was exactly how I wanted it to work out. I was kind of shocked. It was almost tempting to stop after that. <laughs> right. Have the one like super normal story. <laughs> well, let's talk about that story. <laughs> yeah. So when we decided to, to go with the adoption, we picked a local agency that was um, Illinois only. So they don't do across the states. Um, we did look at ones that did across the states. We looked at international, but 
the trade-off seemed like a local agency might take a little longer, but it would be more streamlined. Mm-hmm. It's legally, it's easier to stay in state. Um, and we clicked with the agency. Yes. Uh, so, this, so important. So important. The social worker um, was just, I don't know, we're kind of very low-key people. We didn't really, we're not people, we've never been to like counseling or anything. And the social worker was like just so chill. <laughs> and and we clicked. So we liked her a lot. Did our home study. I'm, I mean, once I have a to-do list, I plow through it. So we did our home study record fast and got on the list. And we made our book and did all the things and then, you know, settled in for the waiting and after the three and a half months, we are matched. And she was already, I don't know, 34 weeks pregnant, 35 weeks pregnant, something like that, and um, wanted to meet us. We did the meeting at the adoption agency. It, you know, it's never normal, but it felt sort of close to normal. Right. <laughs> what does that feel like? Right. What is sort of close to normal? It felt like we could have been friends with her. Okay. In a world where we had been born in the same, you know, place and had right. the opportunity to be friends. And so... It went well, and and she. I remember her telling us, you know, I liked your book because you. I liked how you organized your pantry. <laughs> what? I was like I also like how I organized my pantry. So you I know, love it was that. like so random. So <laughs> random. she liked dogs. We had a lot of dogs in our book because we had dogs. The whole family has dogs, and it was just I don't know. And she picked us, and it didn't really think like seem like she overthought it. Like, I think she was in a good headspace. She had a daughter that she was parenting. She knew she couldn't do two. Um, she seemed pretty committed to the plan. And I remember talking to our social workers afterwards and them being like, look, like obviously we can't guarantee anything, but we do this all the time. If we had to give you like an estimate, it's probably going to happen. And we're like, all right, we'll take it. I mean, you know, there's no guarantees. And she ended up having uh, an emergency C-section at like 38 weeks. So we, we were notified, we were matched right before Thanksgiving and our daughter was born December 12th. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, and we were in the hospital. We rushed to the hospital because we thought we had more time for a scheduled C section, but ended up being emergent. So, we rushed to the hospital, which was just, I don't know, 40 minutes from our house. And uh, we were there in the waiting room eating French fries and potato chips out of stress, waiting for, <laughs> you know, we were in like the cafeteria. And then the social workers came down, said, She was born. She's fine. Uh, come on up and meet her. And we did. And then we actually, we, hung out with the birth mom a little bit, but they were separated. She asked that the baby be taken to, well, technically she was in the NICU, although at a very low risk case. So technically she was in the NICU and the mom was in mother baby. And uh, so we went and saw the mom, but we separately got to be with the baby. Okay. And we got to room in with her because it was a private NICU room. So it was like all the stars aligned. We spent two nights at the hospital with her, the nurses. With the baby. With the baby. Okay. With the baby. Like, I mean, yeah, birth mom's a couple floors away. Okay. How are the nurses to you? So kind. They I were was, not confused? No. They they treated us like the mom and dad. I, I, I honestly, it feels like the whole thing was a stroke of luck because I'm sure there are scenarios where that's not the case. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, they really just acted very normal and they taught us how to do the bath and they taught us how to do the diapers and we knew nothing. And um Honestly, I'm really glad it worked that way for our first baby because somebody needed to show us how to do the things. But it was great. And and we brought her home. And there was still that nerve wracking. She came home in Illinois. The birth mom can't sign the paperwork for 72 hours. Okay. Which is, in the grand scheme of states, my understanding is pretty right. good mm-hmm. for the adoptive family. But it's still stressful because the baby got released at like 48 hours. So they said we could keep her at the adopt the adoption agency had options, but we're like, we'll take her. I feel okay about it. And it worked. So she signed after the 72 hours and we have an open adoption. You do. We do. Um, we've had 
two, Maddie is six now. So we've had two in-person meetings. It took birth mom a couple years of, uh, before she felt comfortable mm-hmm. doing it in person. Um, but we've done two. Sadly, now we live across the country. So it's a little bit harder, harder. But when we go back, we try to prioritize seeing her and then, you know, we share pictures and mm-hmm. we chat. Text, yeah. We FaceTimed on Christmas. So things like that. So it's very like classic. And does she know her sister? No. And that's the birth mom's choice. She knows she has a sister. Um, we've told we've told Maddie. Okay. But big sister doesn't know about Maddie. And big oh. sister was only like two when Maddie was born. So presumably it's more or less forgotten to in her mind. Like, I don't think she ever remembers mom being pregnant. Right. But how does she FaceTime with you with the child? The she only has half custody of the daughter. Okay. So we actually are very strategic about not when we do things when she doesn't have the daughter. Okay. She has since had a son who she's parenting, who we've met and is like the cutest guy you'll ever see. And he's, he's adorable. Um, so he knows, well, he doesn't really know anything. He's like two, but. He, but will he know? Will I, she I keep him in the picture? So, I mean, okay. she has full custody of him. And so um, I think it's a little less, I don't know. I don't oh. know. I can't get in her head completely. I can't I exactly. That's I don't want to speak for her. Right. Yeah. But I, Maddie knows. I mean, she doesn't really get it, mm-hmm. I, but we try to be as like, six-year-old straightforward as we can. Right. They look a lot alike. Um, I'm friends with the birth mom on Facebook, so I can see pictures. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, they're they're half-sisters, but they look a lot alike. And you show Maddie the pictures? Yeah. Yeah. From time to time. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, she's six. Her. She's so. six. Um, but yeah. So who knows? I mean, you know, and we've explained to her that she may have, um, we the one piece of her adoption that is closed, so to speak, is we have no information about birth death. Okay. That was the birth mom's choice. The social workers have no information. We have no information. Like literally no. How do they get around that? How so? Well, when you have to have a sign off, do they have to put it in the newspaper? What's yes. that process? They did okay. all that. They did. Yes. They have to post it. That was a little nerve wracking. I want to say birth dads in Illinois have 60 days to like come forward. But again, our social workers were like, but like, like who's the reading chances, the paper right? also? Like the chances this guy knows that do- that Maddie exists is slim to none. Mm-hmm. Like if he if she's not even giving us like info, nonetheless a name, chances are he doesn't know right. that she was ever pregnant. Right, right. Right. So we were nervous. I think we asked family not to put pictures on social media until like we yeah, hit that until day. Everything was done. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it was only 30 days. It's all such a blur now, but it wasn't too terribly stressful. You know, it's funny when you look back and you're like, it's not that, it wasn't that long, but <laughs> the six months that we waited to finalize felt like an eternity. And Every day I was so scared. Every day. And yeah. I tell myself like, it's okay. I just love the baby. But until the day that um, we went to the court and AJ was officially ours, I think I went home and slept for like two straight yeah. days because I had been so worried for that time. Yes. You just love this baby so much that you can't imagine that anything would change. Yes. I, I, six months, you're a trooper. Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I know. Six that's months why we didn't do so it again long. in Colorado because we couldn't do yeah. that. We just couldn't do that again. Well, and that's part of why we didn't do interstate is because even some of the states surrounding Illinois are a lot less favorable mm-hmm. for uh, adoptive, adoptive parents. parents. Mm-hmm. So like Michigan's, I think, quite bad and Indiana's not as good. So I, I don't know. It was just, we were like, let's just stay Illinois. It's fairly favorable. We know what we're getting into. 
Okay, how long did you wait before you decided to pursue another one? So I'm super type A. I would have loved to have had all well, my we kids. we know now because your pantry. Yes, my pantry is lovely. <laughs> and I wanted my kids all to be born in like the same month so I could throw one birthday party, which of course <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> so we were aiming for like a two-year age gap. And our agency had a rule that you couldn't go back on the list until one year. And so I think we went back on the list right around like 14 months, figuring, you know, that gives us some wiggle room to aim for that two-year. And... It was a totally different experience. Uh, The first time when we were picked after just three or four months, we, not to say everyone knows, everyone doesn't know, but if if you're on a wait list right now, you know it's not like it's an order. You know, it's not first come, first serve. But you do sort of feel that way, especially mm-hmm. if you're with an agency that that puts the profiles of all the waiting families online, um, which a lot of agencies do. And then you stalk those people and you're like, we're better than them. We're, we're so cute. <laughs> Look at and her like, pantry. It's so yeah, dirty. Right? <laughs> like, we have a fun job. And I don't know. Like, you just get so in your head. And uh, I give or take, like with Maddie's, I think we essentially jumped the line. Like, we were probably one of the last families to get on the list and one of the first to get picked. So when we got back on the list... We were like, okay, well, now that we have one kid, we're probably not as attractive. Um, It'll take a little longer. We ended up waiting 15 months, which actually made us the longest waiting family at that agency. Oh, my gosh. You went from number one to (laughs) last. (laughs) And and that plays into the story because the way um, our agency does uh, safe havens, which we can talk the details, but basically... In the state of Illinois, if a baby is surrendered through the safe haven law, there are 10 adoption agencies that get the babies on a rotational basis. On average, about 10 babies are surrendered a year, so each agency gets about a baby a year. And our agency's policy when they get a safe haven baby, because obviously birth mom has not selected a family because the baby has been just dropped off somewhere, uh, is to give the baby to the, or offer the baby to the longest waiting family. Oh, and so when we got the call, it was like, yeah, we got a safe haven baby, and that would be you guys. And we're like, oh my God, we're last? <laughs> <laughs> and, and we were. And, and so, but obviously, it all worked out very serendipitously. And I always say, you know, 15 months actually isn't that long in the game of adoption. There are people who wait much, much, much oh, longer. Yeah. But our agency, given our, our circumstances, 15 months was a little longer than we thought we would wait. It's funny when your first adoption is perfect. I mean, (laughs) ours was pretty perfect except for AJ's medical stuff, but that was very short-lived. And then we knew he was going to be fine. And it was like, it went just as we had planned. And so when we decided to do the second, we were like, this is really hard. We had no idea. If we had just stopped with AJ, we'd tell everybody, oh, it's simple. You just right? go ahead and do it. Rainbows and sunshine. It's going to be great. And then it's like the second and then the third and fourth. And we're like, oh, my goodness. So it's nice when you at least have one really good one yep. and then one challenging wait. When you got the call, what did they know about the baby? So with Safe Haven, just to give a little bit of like the gist, every state in the country has some sort of Safe Haven law. And typically it goes something like this. An unharmed newborn baby, newborn could be anything from like a week to 30 days old, maybe even a little longer in some states, but they're they're pretty fresh, uh, can be brought to an official designated safe haven location, handed, usually it is handed to a staffer. So not like left on the street outside of a fire station, but like handed to somebody who works there. And no questions are asked. They will they will ask questions, but no questions must be answered. You have the right to hand over the baby and say, I don't want to give you any information. I'm leaving. And you have broken no laws. 
the baby will not go to foster care. The baby will be immediately placed with an adoptive family. And technically, you do have a certain amount of time, depending on the state, to come back and change your mind. It's not a super long amount. It's usually, I'm trying to think of maybe 30 days, maybe 60, but they say the chances. Most women who come back, come back within a week. What if like dad comes and is like, wait, she just took the baby from me. Yeah. So dad has whatever the state's adoption laws for dads are in general, right? Just like with a a more standard agency adoption, dad does have that like you post it in the newspaper, you do all the things mm-hmm. um, and, and dad does have rights that do get cut off depending on the state at a certain point. Okay. So and his were ha- cut off at 60 days. Okay. And you have to hand the baby to somebody. There are a few states that have baby boxes, which are highly controversial. I don't have a strong opinion on them, but the bottom line is most states don't. And so at mo- in most states, you have to hand the baby to personnel at the location. Did you watch Dropbox? No. Oh my God, you told me to. I did. That you and have I to see that. Ah, all right, it's on my to-do list. Oh my goodness, it's <laughs> about Korean adoption and the Dropbox. Where, and this is in a world that if you have a baby out of wedlock or you have too many or there's right you, it's bad Dire so that you have to do the Dropbox, mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and he was checking it all the time um but it's so precious how he saved all of these babies it's wow. amazing this man you have to see i have chills right it's now it's a true I'm just, story like, crying the whole time. yes oh, okay he's yeah, a no, real person <laughs> oh my god and all these babies have come through his orphanage through this Dropbox. Wow. yes well, and then i think that that just goes to show a woman in this circumstance is in a really tough mm-hmm. spot, right? I think one of the biggest surprises to me when we started looking into adoption was that birth moms don't really fit a mold. They're all ages, all socioeconomic levels. But with Safe Haven, it does skew younger. Mm-hmm. It's not a completely, but it, it skews that way. And so you're talking oftentimes about young girls who maybe hid the pregnancy, maybe didn't know about the pregnancy, and are just in a, in just a horrible spot. And the fact that they can do this legally um, is great. But to, to, there's a very long explanation to answer your question of what we know about him, which is nothing. Um, is, is really nothing. It's like the epitome of a closed adoption. Um, all the like info we got, for, he was dropped at a hospital. So in every single state, hospitals are one of the options. Okay. Many states also have like police, fire, sometimes like campus security, things like that. But so he was brought to um, a hospital, handed to the emergency room staff. Um, it said he was wrapped in blankets. He was crying, which that checks out. He cried a lot. Uh, <laughs> and, and the mom said, you know, I can't do this. And they said, would you like to fill out paperwork so that we know a little bit about his medical history? And she said, no. And do, would you like medical care? That's another big one mm. that is a little better than the boxes is that mm-hmm. in some circumstances, the mom might be bleeding. The mom right. might have something traumatic have happened. So they offered her care. She declined and walked away. How old? She said, he was, she said he was born that morning. What? Yeah. At her house? Yeah. At her, uh, we don't know. We don't even know. We have a hunch because we know the umbilical cord appeared to be cut with home scissors. And so there was just some issues there. Uh, but yeah, we think home, which, hey, you know what? Home births, they're coming back in style. They, so they he's sure there. are. Yeah. So that was that, that they took him. Again, this law only works if the baby seems unharmed. Um, they do think he was four weeks early. He seemed, mm. he was very small. He was in the four pound range, but didn't require any extra care. Spent two nights at the hospital, checked out fine. Um, was eating. Was eating. They believe he had been fed that morning because his blood sugar was good when he got dropped off, which, you know, total 
total guess, but our social workers said that might mean it wasn't her first. Maybe she knew what she was doing. Maybe mm. she had formula in the house or maybe somebody else in the house had a baby or she knew how to nurse or, or what have you. But he seemed like he was well taken care of for whatever number of hours he spent. And how much did he weigh? Oh, like, I think four pounds, 15 ounces. Oh my god! Yeah, he was an itty bitty. He's still itty bitty. <gasps> <laughs> he's just a little peanut. Uh, and he's, he is about to turn four. So he's he's small, but mighty. Uh, Were you excited? Were you scared? How did you feel? Excited. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, it's like you, you, want, you want the adoption to be done. You want, it's weird. With the first adoption, it's like, I just want to be a mom. Like I just wanted, but I was a mom. I had my daughter. She was two and a half. With the second adoption, we knew that would be our last. And it was like, I just want to like close the chapter on this or the, the you know, I just want to be move on and mm -hmm. be a family and not be in this process any mm -hmm. longer. And it was dragging on as is. And it, it's just like, the, you know, you're always counseled. You can turn down adoptive opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. If it's not the right one, don't take it. And we tried to look for red flags and we tried to really think about it. But honestly, the report was he seemed fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was like, well, if he seems fine, and uh, why? What? You know? And actually, I should say, I made a big deal of us being the longest waiting. We weren't. We were the second longest waiting and someone else turned him down. Really? Mm -hmm. Which, you know what? That's for whatever reason. I don't know why she did it. I'll never know. But we got him. <laughs> so... I have so many things to say about this because our first adoption was so beautiful and like I felt instant love and the child loved us. Like it was just amazing. It was, I think back in that time of bringing home AJ and it is like just the best time. And then with our second one, because we had a failed adoption before and we had gone through so much, I always say it's like riding a horse when you start adoption, you're like riding it and you're enjoying the horse, you're loving it. But by the end of the adoption, you've fallen off the horse. It's dragging you behind and you're just like, I want this over. And when we brought Lily home, she was medically fragile and she cried all the time. Okay. That it's like, does this baby even like me? Do I even like this baby? How long is this going to last? And like, <laughs> I don't even know what is up. And I just want it to be over. And it's confusing. And it was it was just chaos. And so I can understand where you're just like, yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure how I was feeling because it it all happened so fast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I worked at the same job I worked at when we got the call about Maddie and both were weekdays and both, I was in the same conference. I took my little pad of paper and I went to the conference room and sat there on speakerphone and conferenced in John and got all the details. And and so that that element, I guess, feels kind of the same between the two adoptions. The difference was you can come get him tomorrow <laughs> was the answer. It wasn't come meet the birth mom. It wasn't, right. you know, she'll be born eventually. It was, okay, yeah, so you're good? Because like, He's here. <laughs> Can you take him? <laughs> and did he cry when he got home? He's, I mean, he still might be crying right now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He said, "Take care." Uh, <laughs> yes, he is a tough baby. He and and again, we don't we don't know his medical history. We don't know exactly what we're working with. He's a much more spirited child than our than our <laughs> first, uh, especially as a baby. But he's also super cute, um, very funny, and very strong. So <laughs> what do you think his ethnicity is? You know, we don't know. He tans really easily. He he looks more like me and I'm like mostly Italian. So he could very well be like Mediterranean, Greek, something like that. Mm -hmm. He could also potentially be something either like Central American or 
like South America. I don't know. We have no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and our daughter, I should preface, is a very, very pale redhead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they, we do occasionally, for not being a transracial adoption, we do occasionally get the like, what's going on here? Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, because a redheaded girl sticks out for the, just no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like we get the strangers in the grocery store. Where'd you get your red hair? Um, and then to contrast her next to her brother, who especially in summer in Arizona is very dark skinned. They don't look particularly related. <laughs> I did not think that when I first met you, I was shocked when you said that both kids were adopted. Funny. I'm like, really? But that's because so many people have children that don't look anything like. Yes. You know, I mean, even yes. interracial couples will have one child that looks so mm-hmm. interracial and the other one is doesn't. You're like, wait a second. So yeah. I did not assume that. But it was great meeting you and hearing your story. I think you were the first person that we met when we came here that had adopted. Oh, I'm I'm sure. Well, it's so funny because you guys are an interracial family, so it's much more oh, yeah. obvious. Yeah. And I always feel so bad because we'll be in public and we'll see an interracial family and I'll be like staring at them. And it's only because I'm like, oh, I wonder if they're an adoptive family too. And I have to remind myself, like, they can't tell you are. Exactly. You're just being creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you were creepy, but I was surprised when you're like, oh, us too. And I'm like, oh my goodness, tell me your story. I like the safe haven just the whole entire thing about it. And I was telling AJ about it. And you know what he said to me? And this is his life goal. And adoption now, this is what it means to him. He said, I just want the world to know that you can place your baby. Don't kill it. Oh, He's like, it really God. hurts my heart when moms choose to kill their babies. Don't do that. He should do uh, like volunteer crying. work for the national. You know, the National Safe Haven Alliance is based here in Arizona. Really? Yeah. So each state has its own, you know, whatever, not profit type thing. Um, so Illinois, we're pretty involved with the Save Abandoned Babies Foundation, which is the one for Illinois. But when we moved here, they let us know that we're going to the the heart the of it. Yeah, the Mecca. <laughs> so here in, in Arizona is the National Safe Haven Alliance. And they do tons of volunteer stuff and they love to have kids be part of the volunteer yeah. stuff because oh. it plays well. Um, and so they'll have kids go um, bring signs to firehouses or do tabling at events. And yeah. He would love that. It's it's super cute. He would love that because he knows now that there are so many families waiting, right? Yes. I talk about it all the time. 1.2 million families in the United States waiting. Crazy. And so if you are a mother and you just can't do it, you can take your baby to a safe place and that baby is going to be adopted with a home study family, a family that's waiting and will love your child. And I love what he said. He's like, don't kill it. It just breaks his heart that, um, that children aren't given the chance to have a life. And he loves his adoption. Like he loves his story, which is very unique to him, but he's like the poster child for adoption. And he, he's fine with that. (laughs) And he's passionate about, children getting families. He really believes that that's, you know, our call as a family. And so he's very outspoken about it. And he goes to every baby that he ever sees. We were just at a church and he was like, look at that baby, mom. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's during church. And the baby's waving at him. He's like (laughs) waving. He goes over. He's like, I love your baby. And she's like, oh my gosh, this little guy, he's 11, but he's always been like that. And so that same passion, um, it sounds like you have too, is to make people just know that this is an option and that there's a safe place and your baby will be loved. It's uh, for me, now that I know so much about Safe Haven, I, I just, my heart breaks when I find out about illegal abandonments and they still happen. I was just looking it up and 
you know, in, in 2020, there was 37 illegal abandonments. And it's, you know, what do so, you mean? Meaning that the baby was left in a dumpster or died? A, about half of illegal abandonments die. Oh. Um, there was just one in Chicago a couple months ago. All the person did wrong. They were so close. They left the baby outside of a fire station instead of handing it to somebody, not realizing it wasn't a fully functioning fire station and the baby froze to death. Oh, no. And so it's just, they were so close. And, and that's why it eats me up inside because the piece that's missing, the law is there. The piece is the education. And in theory, when these laws were passed, most states put in clauses around um, education in the high schools and things like that, it's by and large not being done. Yeah. And so when I say that there's like not-for-profits in every state that do this, most of what they do is literally go around and make sure that the little placards are hanging up. Make sure that there is handouts in the nurse's office at every high school in their area. Um, because if people don't know about it, they can't use it. And we're talking about people that are going to be in a moment of panic. Mm -hmm. um, and luckily with the internet, maybe their first thought is to Google it and hopefully they'll come up with the right answer. But they might not. And so it's important that we're telling all of these, everybody, everybody. I mean, and again, you don't know. It's not socioeconomic. It's not racial. It's It could be anybody. So I just tell everybody about these laws. Absolutely. And you're passionate because that's how you oh, yeah. got a son. Yeah. And like you said, it's both sides of the coin. It's all these waiting families of which I have been one who are desperate for a kid. And then it's also babies that deserve a life. Mm -hmm. And we're so close. Right. I mean, they were there. They were born. They were alive. And, and then even for the illegal abandonments that don't die, I mean, thank goodness they don't die, but they go to foster. Mm. And the parents have committed a crime. Right. And so their lives are ruined. Right. And so you've ruined all these lives. When The difference of just doing it legally, you're actually really saving three lives, the parents, the baby, and the adoptive family that gets this amazing baby. So I could not have said that better myself. I want to ask you a question about what you do. You're a dietitian. Yes, I am. And do you work with children? I do a little. I, I wrote a book about feeding kids called Healthy Little Foodie. <laughs> but Where can it, we get that? You can get it on Amazon. And uh, yeah, I, I focus on making sure kids aren't picky eaters and that they grow up healthy. I actually, in my day-to-day -day work, focus more on diabetes with adults, not type 1, but type 2. And I realized that a lot of type 2 diabetic adults it's not so much what they're eating, it's their eating patterns. They're, you know, they're eating mindlessly, they're eating um, emotionally, they're snacking all day, they're grazing. And I, it hit me, these are the exact habits we instill in kids, mm -hmm. right? Especially kids with behavioral problems who maybe ADHD or things like that. A lot of parents t resort to putting a TV on or screens on so that the kid will eat. And while I get the short-term benefit of that, it really is the exact problems that most adults with, with diabetes and overweight and heart disease have with their eating patterns. And so starting it young isn't a great strategy. Right. Um, I always joke when we sold our stroller, I was like, this might be the only stroller on all of Craigslist that's never been eaten in. Because <laughs> my kids only eat at tables. Oh. They, ha they have to eat meals at tables with other people. That's interesting. Actually, <laughs> you know, I lived in Africa for a few years and they did not walk and eat. So yeah, if you no. were holding an right. apple and like eating and, and walking, they looked at you like, what are you doing? Because food is so scarce that you sit down, you enjoy the food. It's time to eat. 
You don't grab a snack on the fly. You don't run around. And if you do it, they're staring at you. And I think about that a lot where we're just mindlessly giving snacks to the kids and and they struggle in school or even the school. It's oh, like, here's a free snack and it's started. a tricks bar. And I'm like, how are the teachers teaching these kids after they have that? Right. I The school and both my kids, I because I do work, they've always been in full time childcare, And I, it mind boggles me. Like, it seems like the school is shooting themselves in the foot. with, And the, and the cupcakes for the birthdays. It's like, well, there's 30 kids in this class. We're going to have artificially colored hyperactivity cupcakes. 30 times throughout the year? Like, why are you doing this to yourself? Uh, yeah, so I do focus on that a lot. And actually, I think with Frankie, who, you know, does have a little bit more of that high energy, I can't even imagine if he was eating like artificial colors every day and, and snacking all day. And what do you, what do you feed him? <laughs> oh, uh, well, we eat as a family, all meals. So we, he eats what we eat. So, I mean, this morning we had potato, kale, egg, and steak hash on the griddle. <laughs> Um, Delicious. Tonight for dinner, we're having a we're having a lot of potatoes today. That's kind of weird. We're having a potato <laughs> casserole and ham. Yeah, so we eat what we eat, whatever that is. But what did you pull out of his diet? Ah, uh, yes, he is gluten free. He is gluten free mostly, uh, which does seem like it's made a really big impact on his um, skin. Which we know that when people have skin disorders, it's usually gut based, and that might be how we were visibly seeing the problem. But it probably implies that there were a larger or larger problems inside. Um, so he only eats gluten if it's at home, homemade sourdough or ancient grains like spelt and einkorn. Um, but out and about, he does not eat gluten. And so you see that has changed his behavior? A little. Behavior is so tricky with kids because some of it's just growing up. Right. right. It's always tough to tease out what's just a phase that they grew out of at the same time you did an intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never used that as my gold standard to say whether the gluten removal was successful. The, what we did there, honestly, he had horrible eczema on his face and it went away. And really? it went away in about, took about six weeks Okay, to go away because it takes a while, but uh, it's been gone now. He's been gluten-free for a year so and it hasn't come back. Okay, so I have a child who's not sleeping and I know a lot of children that are not sleeping, especially in the adoption world. Um, she wakes up with night terrors and this has been going on and on. Like I'm like aging fast. I'm like, if you don't start sleeping, I don't know what I'm gonna do with you. I need you to sleep through the night. So we did a couple things that you told us to do, which was take away, we used to watch like one little show before they went to bed, like a bluey or like something. Mm-hmm. Whereas we come together as a family and like this is, what we're watching, like this 15 to 20 minute show. We took that out, which was like so sad to them. But we replaced it with like reading or listening to a story on Alexa. So we were listening to a little story instead of having that screen in front of her helped tremendously. Um, We talked about foods too. I think I had heard that oatmeal or bananas calm the system. Yeah, that's fat. I had not heard that. That's fascinating. Yeah. So it helps them sleep. Um, And so we're kind of in this place where we're trying foods and trying different patterns to see how we can cure this insomnia because she can't focus at school either. Yeah. Once they're tired, it's, I mean, it's just a cycle, right? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to food, my my best suggestion for for sleep is, you know, it's all hormonal at the end of it. A lot of it's hormonal. And so patterns, repeated patterns are key. So trying not to alter between uh, weekends and weekdays, trying to keep your meals at the same time. Mm-hmm. And 
the gap between the last meal and the sleeping about the same. And the beverage is limited to the meals. I think we often forget that you could be hyping a kid up with that last juice or mm. or whatever they're having. Or maybe milk is hurting their stomach mm-hmm. and you're giving them milk before bed and then they're having like cramps in the middle of the night. You know, So there's just, I try to really keep the f- all, all substantive caloric items to the breakfast, lunch, and dinner time and then just water in between just so the system has a chance to rest. So good. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, for sharing about Safe Haven, for talking about your book. Um, and just for being honest and open about your story and your journey. Yeah. Everyone's going to gonna love that first story. They're like, oh, there is an easy one out there. Maybe you'll get that easy one. I can never decide if that story is like mean because not everyone gets one of those, but it was our story and it is what it is. And our second one was different. <laughs> yeah. And you can always pray for that. I always tell people, keep yes. hope. You can always keep hope that that's your story. Yes. Right. And if it's not. It's all right. You're going to make it through because we both yes. made it through hard ones. You do. And, and at the end, you're going to, whatever kid is your kid, you're going to think, I don't know how there could be a world where that's not my kid. Absolutely. I, I stare at pictures of adoptive success stories on our agency's website and just think, this is so weird. All of these kids could have just been mixed around. Like, you know, if family A got kid A and family B got kid B and C got kid C, in just weird timing, all three of those kids could have been rearranged in those families. Right. But yet the one you ended up with feels like the one you were supposed to end up. Yes. It just... It's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, it is. Tara, thank you so much. My pleasure. And thank you for listening. If you have an adoption story you'd like to share, please email us at afallon at adoptionnowpodcast.com. We would love for you to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media. Thanks for joining us on your adoption show. See you next episode. 